Welcome everyone to another episode of the Neurogether podcast. We are joined here with Claudia. She is a neuroscientist, and to my knowledge, you are doing stroke rehabilitation and neuroatrophy at Cambridge. Sort of. Yeah, sort of. Yes. Yeah. Stroke is right. Stroke is right. Okay. Oh, fair enough. Uh, we one out of two. Not yeah, that. yeah. We got two out of three, but I'll take that. It's fine. What college are you at? I'm in Murray Edwards. Are you? Yes. You're big Only camp? women. One of the few, yeah. only two colleges with only women. Wow, congratulations. Oh, wow. Yeah. When did you start there? October 2020, so just in the middle of all the lockdowns and pandemic stuff. Oh, Ouch. fantastic. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I get that reaction quite often, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Here we are. How's the research alongside that? I will just say one thing. I work with stroke patients, as I said. Yeah. And uh, we had to move all our assessments online. So imagine. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. <sighs> yes. How? How? Okay, ha- right. so how did you deal with that? Like, that is, I, I, I couldn't even work out how, the, how I would start with that. That's, that's quite a lot sometimes, can be quite a lot. I was lucky and I got there in the group when people had already started doing this a few months earlier, obviously. Okay. So we, were, we are able still to send all our documents to the patient's home and then we arrange a Zoom meeting or, or a phone call and then we try and get through that. And this is actually super nice. They are... We are lucky, we're lucky, so they are happy to take part. Others struggle a bit more, but you know, that's the best we could do, so. Yeah, yeah I imagine it's like, so um, do you want to give us like a real quick overview of how a typical session would go? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. Just so we can know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, so um, I'm personally working on a longitudinal study, so we got stroke patients when they're admitted at the hospital until one year later. So okay. you then, you know, the first assessment is really basically on the bed of the patient, but it's really in the acute phase. And then you go on one month later, six months later, 12 months later, you contact them, say, are you still interested in taking part in this research? And again, most participants are really happy to help. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you are in the session, you send the, you know, the material through and then arrange the, the Zoom meeting and then you go through with it. Okay. Hopefully. Nice. How many, uh, what's your attrition rate like? Interests. My what, sorry? Attrition rates. How many people uh, end up not participating all the way through? Um, well, you have to consider the usual, you know, yeah. people just dropping out, people not replying to your calls. Gosh, very annoying. Very, very annoying. But I would say our re- recruitment target was 200 participants and we got 160. That's really wow. good. That's, that's really good. That's, that's really respectable. So people are really here to help out. I don't know if it's the area, it's Cambridgeshire or whatever, but people are really... So is that where you focused it? Or have you focused it predominantly on Cambridgeshire or are you doing like nationwide? Yes, it's Cambridgeshire. Oh, yeah. It's got to be Adamus, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 So it's well, like you've got Adamus, I think True. Yeah. Do you have any patients from Bullhorn Hospital? No. So we have two external sites, yes. two external hospitals we work with, but it's still quite local. Yes. East of England, again. Oh, so yeah. Are there a lot of similar people with strokes happening in Cambridgeshire that go to Adamus or... Well, it's, 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 it's the biggest part of the country, if I'm wrong, I think it's the biggest public hospital in the country. Yes. So, and it's got, I know it's like up there with Europe in terms, like the biggest in Europe in terms of like Yeah, yeah. Some, some of the um, some of the supervisors will have contacts, and uh, you yeah. know, you can 
but it's really specific to what you're researching and looking at. Obviously, obviously like, you don't just want to like, walk in and say, hey, can anyone just do my study? Hey. <laughs> it doesn't really work. Well, no. I think the most recent PhD student was Anita. She was doing qualitative analysis with, I think, stroke patients, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, at Brooks. And they were, that level of care was essentially the big thing. But in third year of rehabilitation. So yeah. quite, well, not as fresh as what you do to yeah. the you have different levels, right? You have yeah. the super acute patient, you have the rehabilitation one, long-term one, so it's just so many. There's so much to look at, so long-term distance. Uh, our listeners in particular will be interested. What kind of methods are you using with your stroke patients? Uh, is it uh, mainly fMRI-based? Are you doing anything psychometric-wise? You are using questionnaires from yeah. too. So yeah. rehabilitation, are you using um, reacquisition of, say, limbs? Or reacquisition of uh, so, I'm working particularly on apathy, okay. so neuropsychiatric syndrome, and I'm currently not yet at the phase of rehabilitation, so I'm looking more at the trajectory of symptoms at one year, and then I'm looking at the effect of these symptoms on caregivers or patients themselves, and then hopefully my next step will be you know, some sort of intervention rehabilitation, which is going to be something. Hopefully something technological. Nice. We'll see some, some apps, some something. Nice. Very cool. I really like that you're also Specific stroke nurses? Yes. There are. Okay. Yes. So yeah, they do have like yeah, a stroke nurses. Yeah. It's, it's cool. They have a specific unit within hospitals to deal with stroke patients, and you're gonna have to tell me what that's called because I can't remember. It's a stroke ward. Is it just still stroke? Yeah, stroke, stroke unit. So patients will hopefully go straight to the stroke unit when they you know before. Because there has been a real big drive, especially in the UK, like over the last ten years. Like mm-hmm. I, I noticed, I've definitely noticed, you know, the think fast adverts you see on TV with like. So I think that's really, really cool that that's what your research is on, and you're just like driving it forward even more. That's awesome. Yeah. So I don't know if uh, I've mentioned about this podcast, but we it's called Journey to Study. Mm-hmm. So we love knowing what you're doing, but we also want to know how did you get here. So do you want to give us a little bit of like your background and how you came to do psychology and neuropsychological science? Yeah, sure. Um, so I studied <coughs> psychology in Italy. Um, I did five years there, and my initial goal was to become a clinical, a clinical psychologist, actually. I was in love with Freud and whatever is Freudian and, you know, psychoanalysis. I was really into that stuff. It's a hell of a jump going from yes. Freud to the exact opposite of what Freud yeah. Yeah. That's precisely my life. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so in second year, we started studying neurobiology, obviously, and I remember, I can remember this very clearly, when we were going through Broca and Wernicke and all that, I was like, this is actually very interesting. Yeah. I, don't, I don't love Freud anymore. I want to study you know, all about brain areas and, and all that. It's when it gets, you get bitten by that bug and it's like, yes. hang on. Everything's now no longer, so I'm kind of similar. Like, I'm really interested in being like clinical psychology and like, yeah, 
Freud, Jung, like it really interested me, the psychoanalysis stuff. But it was kind of too abstract. And like you said, when you start looking at like the actual brain areas and what they will do, and then you get ruled down to the nitty gritty, you're like, hang on. Now, I can actually test that, and I can see it. <laughs> like, it's, it's no longer just some like, yeah, abstract, airy fairy type of idea. Not that I'm calling psychoanalysis airy fairy. But yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's a difference between we're talking about concepts and then actual testable application of stuff. And yeah, I think people have more conceptual knowledge or uh, the idea of learnable knowledge and conceptual knowledge will move towards and gravitate towards neuroscience because it's something they can actually physically see. Yeah. And especially with psychoanalysis because it is just like the thoughts of somebody. It's like studying philosophy. Yeah. And yeah, I have a difficulty with that as well. I guess nowadays some people are trying to put the two things together, right? So yeah. Like neuroscience, the neuroscientific uh, methods to psychoanalysis and, and also Freudian and Jungian findings. But it still feels to be harder than, say, studying out, you know. Because, like, how, like, how would you go about testing it? How would you test ego? How would you test As concepts, they're great and they do explain behaviors. But how would you go about testing that? Like, it's not like you can say, oh, that is where the it comes. Like, do you know, we can, we can guess. We can't point to it. We're like, oh, this, this makes me impulsive. Maybe it's from here. But, you know, like, it's... Yeah. I guess the real application in, in this case would definitely be, um, you know, psychological treatment. So yeah. you can still study that. You cannot see it. You can still study the effects, hopefully. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of clinical trial, but, yeah, that we're going We're moving into dimensions yes. untold. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm so this yes. podcast. So, <laughs> University of Italy. What university? It's Spado. It's in the northeast, close to Venice. It's okay. one of the most ancient universities. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah Venice is a great city too. I love Venice. Yeah. How have you been? No? No. How close is that to uh, Aviano? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's up in the mountains? Or, um, uh, I think it's a key. Aviano? Yeah. Oh, it's in the U.S. Air Force Base there. Oh, I see. And uh, there's also uh, the Piancavallo. Okay, yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. the Sea Hill. Yeah. Going back to your question okay, of yeah, methodologies, yeah. 
Um, I do a lot of MRI analysis, and mostly structural and diffusion weighted imaging, imaging analysis, and that's where I learned something. Um, so I didn't really need to talk to patients in that instance, which was, yeah. Helpful. Yeah, yeah which yeah. was helpful. Sometimes you get like you might have a patient that has a vernicris area atrophy, in which case, hey, if they try to speak to them, they wouldn't understand. No, yeah. my <laughs> <laughs> Not on me. So we say like, uh, on that uh, internship, it was more like a, yeah, I don't want to say technician-based, but it was more like on the technical side of it mm -hmm. than the care to patient, like the patient-based side of it. Yeah, so it was not facing patients. I definitely had... It was a research internship, so I had yes. to, uh, you know, plan my, my entire research for the six months. So what I was going to do, um, methods, analysis, then run the analysis, and, and write something. Obviously, I did write my dissertation on, on what I did there, and the topic was very similar to what I'm doing now, with just different aspects of cognition. So I, I thought that was an, an amazing experience. I learned a lot, and yeah. that's also why I'm here is because of that. Because the type of experiences you don't get. Right. Well, they're starting to do now, and they're, like, they're starting to uh, increase some of the red courses to four years with one year being a Erasmus. Yeah, yeah, I assume it's doing that now. Yeah, and I think that's a brilliant idea, and I do feel like we kind of missed out on that opportunity. But, yeah. Well, the cultural experience alongside as well, because you went to Poland. What university? Warsaw. Warsaw. Wow. Warsaw. Warsaw. International School of Psychology. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that, yeah, it is Warsaw. Yeah. So, you, if you actually learned there, did they teach in Polish or did they teach? That's the beauty of it. So this school is specifically in English. It is, so you okay. Have the, the Polish faculty and then on the top floor of the same building you have this English school. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So, yes. Nice. With a view. <laughs> Warsaw. Nice. So, I, so you were there for a year then? I was there for six months. Six months. Six months. Yes. That's, oh, I guess that's curious. Trimester. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, trimester, trimester, yeah. yeah. In that case, you said that was psychology as well, and then you tried to go to neuroscience. Fascinating. Well, Kate, what happened to Cambridge? When, when you came here in 2020? I came here in 2020, so basically in Italy, to become a clinical psychologist, you need to do one year of internship. It's a clinical internship. Okay. At the end of it, you take an exam, and blah, blah, blah. So from graduating, from the moment of graduating till I came here, I did this internship, and I was working, actually, in that case, with uh, dementia patients. Mm -hmm. Something a bit different. Doing a bit of research there as well, that was very, very much clinical, so we mostly case studies. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, yes, I started applying for PhDs, and I mean, Cambridge is an amazing place to, to study, to meet people, and it sounds very active from the neuroscience point of view. I think people yeah. agree on this. I mean, just I've been looking into the neuroscience stuff in Cambridge, and holy crap, like, mm -hmm. it's, it's almost, it's kind of getting a nickname for being mm -hmm. the neuroscience place for the UK. Like, it's in uh, it might as well be. Yeah. Someone called it a biodrome of neuroscience. And I was like, I kind of like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm it's pretty close. I think we have the second largest neuroscience lab in Europe. Mm -hmm. I think it's either that or Utrecht. I forget which one. I know there's there's two large ones in the UK. Cambridge being one of them, and the other one I think is UCL. Mm -hmm. And UCL's is huge. Yeah, right? UCL's is massive. Yeah. Well, I've been there. It is. They have, I don't know how many fMRIs they have, but too many. It's a yeah. Mm -hmm. Same with for London. Yeah. London size. So. Size well, at Cambridge we had three 1.5 Teslas, and then we have oh, five. Uh, they've gone up to the newest ones as well. Yeah, the seven Teslas. Yes, sevens. Yeah. Yeah. Good God. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
don't even walk past that with feelings. Let alone yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> no one's I have one of my colleagues is actually doing research with the 70 now on again on stroke patients, and the level of detail you can see of like veins inside the brain is just it's, it's a feature. Veins? It's, yeah. Oh my god, that's you amazing. Can see, you can incredible. see the details. I'm telling you, it's it's. I think that's one of my favorite modules we did on our masters here was the. I loved that yes, so much. Don't get me wrong, I wanted to slam my head against the wall when we were going, like, you know, manipulating the images at some point. Yeah. Painful. Yeah. Painful. <laughs> yeah. Do you use SVM or do you use uh, MATLAB? Um, I'm currently using FSL. FSL. I used to work with SPM, so I know some programs, but you can yeah. find yeah. SPM is more like the SPSS of. Like, yeah. yeah, it's a kind of like bare bones, basic, you have to stick to what you know, and then I think FSL has more like. I mean, you can code on SPM as well. You definitely can. Yeah. But you can code in SPSS too. It's just kind of like coding in SQL. Yeah. yeah. I'm not a fan of, of FSL to be honest. Really? That's probably, yeah, that's probably because I started in, on SPM, so that was my <laughs> homeland. <laughs> yeah, I mean, SPM, SPM's kind of idiot proof. But once you learn it and you learn the steps and you stick to the steps, yeah. you can do it every time. It's not going to be wrong. You, know? no. you will get your nice, clean pictures and that's it. So, so that'll interpret. Yeah. So nowadays, are you still using SPM or you've swapped over fully? Um, yes. FSL? Yeah. I'm trying to, my best to learn FSL. Nice. <laughs> I've heard there's some packages for R that you can use now for uh, really? MRI as well. I think there's some in development. I've definitely heard that um, some a package for Python the other day that uses S, uh, not SVM, uh, but for fMRI imaging, and I think structural imaging, but I, I have no idea if I'm being honest. Some, some of this goes way over there. Yeah. I love R. If this were true, I would just be moving to R yeah. my oh, entire world. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I cannot what? get my head around R. I'm going to put my hands up and admit that I am not the person to talk to about this. <laughs> Man, you got to love it. It's a fantastic piece of software. I'm it's sure. Nice. I've seen you sit there and try and get your head around it. Yep. That's the beauty of it. And it's cry when it hasn't worked. <laughs> yeah, no, like, uh, for me, that's, yeah, that, that, no. don't do. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to learn it, but I would have to invest some serious time to sitting down and learn it, because I just cannot grasp all the concepts. Mm. It is, though. Like, always space for learning, as yeah. we said. It's just about, it's about the destination in this aspect, not the journey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where you started in your R pro in your R you know path. I, I just know I you know 40 60 hours writing it all get to the end it doesn't happen. You have a in this place or something. Like yeah, that. and I would have to like crawl through it. And knowing my luck, it would be like first sentence right there. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd have to go from the end backwards. <laughs> yeah, you forgot to define your variable. <laughs> Story of my life. Oh, stats. <laughs> So now you're here in Cambridge. What screams most about you? Because from what you can, you can tell, you've studied all over Europe. You have been to Italy, you've been to the Netherlands, you've been to Poland, Switzerland maybe? No? I missed that, Miss but it. you never know, right? Never know, Maybe yeah. next, next destination. Could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's where Ukar just came back from, right? Yes. So it, he was probably bragged about it before. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you find most different about studying with researchers from Italy to Poland to Netherlands now to here? Is there any massive cultural differences you see? So I think the beauty of it all, and of research in general with the neuroscience maybe even more, is the interdisciplinarity first, but also the international people you meet. Mm -hmm. So most groups I've worked with or studied with, you have people from all over the world. Not just Europe, but from all over the world. So that really gives you, I think, uh, you know, you're a bit 
better than when you, you're supposed to move to, to another place, you have a lot more knowledge, you, you know how things work somewhere else. So I did not notice that big of a difference coming here. Actually, wow. this was just yeah. even more. So yeah, I was going to say, it's a really multicultural like, area of mm -hmm. research. Yeah. Like you did, there were people from all around the world, yeah. which obviously we found with you know, our website and everything like that. You just had people from everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's the beauty of, I think, of connecting in neuroscience and having companies like yours studying in, in different countries from the one you were born in, because mm -hmm. you just mix and mingle a lot. And I, I don't think I would be here if I didn't have this sort of international experiences before. Mm -hmm. Um, so you think that's really like defined like your journey, being able to go around and study in different places. Absolutely, yeah. That's it awesome. gives you a different perspective on, on where you came from and what you want to do next and yeah. how you're going to do it, right? So I remember when I was in Poland, obviously they had a different mm, sort of teaching technique, so teaching structure than we had in Italy, and that made me realize, you know, shortcomings of Italian system, but a lot of advantages in that as well. What so kind of advantages? So I think in Italy we are very theory based. Interesting. Yes. Okay. We study a lot of theory, yeah. maybe too much, because sometimes we lack a bit more uh, hands-on experience, mm -hmm. that's for sure. But then when you go on your career and then you start doing things, you need that, that strong theoretical piece. piece. Very good. So that's why, again, you know, a mix of different, of different things, yeah. theory and practice. I really like that you've taken every opportunity as well to like push your boundaries. It's not been like a case of, hey, I'm just going to study here for five years and then I might look at going there. Mm -hmm. It's like as soon as an opportunity came up, you're like, no, 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 go on, do it, oh, yeah. go for it, give it a go. And I think that's a really good lesson to, to learn. Funny enough, it's actually uh, some another uh, podcaster had said the same thing to us. It's like, take as many opportunities as you can, but don't overwork yourself. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, it's a very similar sort of conversation. Like, I think it was Portugal. Mm -hmm. She did her. Um, she started in, and then she's at AIU Chelmsford doing medicine there. there you go. But she was in like the Portuguese was very, very theory. It's all textbook based. Whereas over here, it's a lot more of get your hands in, get on yeah. with it, get going. And I, that's uh, that's the biggest difference I've seen between here and European mm -hmm. studies. I would say it's quite a Western thing because I. I believe it's the same in Canada, it's very much practical aspects. Like they hand you data your first week yeah. and they expect you to kind of go through it. And then you have dedicated classes to theory and then dedicated uh, classes to practicals. And we do have practical classes obviously, but it's not the hands-on approach that most take. Uh, and I think that's kind of a shortcoming if I'm being honest. Especially with, theory's good, but it's good for conversation, but it's never, like, yeah. when you get down to the nitty gritty, I get, two emails a day about statistics and I have other things to do <laughs> yeah. yeah but that's I wish more students actually took a more um, what's the word I, I actually I would say European approach to learning uh, practicality especially like Poland because most Polish people that I've run in with they like statistics and they want to learn that aspect and they learn theory from practicality uh, I find that's kind of a beneficial way of learning almost. I've always found like having like you are saying like having a really strong theory base is where you always need that foundation. Like you have to have that foundation. But then the clinical application needs to be had as well. You can't just Yeah. like doing a purely theoretical degree or, you know, piece of research would drive me crazy because it'd be like, 
well, I want to see this in practice. I want to see what I'm doing. I want to be able to see the results and everything like that. And I think so. I think there is room for a more like a clinical approach to studying in this country. I can relate to this so much because while I was doing my masters, I was a big concern because I loved neuroscience, I loved the research, but it, it felt very, very much um, like basic science, basic mm. research. So. You know, I was always wondering where is the practical, well, where is the practical application, where is the transitional transition aspect, and how can I actually improve something outside of this room or, yeah. or this paper, and how can I make it work? And and that's why I think I, I got into, in my experience, I got into clinical research because I definitely need that sort of contact with patients yeah. or with real life outside and you know, people. And that's good. That's really good to hear. Uh, and that was that driven by seeing a patient in particular. Or was that just because you know they're out there and they're real people that have to study them as well? I guess to be honest, it's because my mom is a medical doctor, so okay, I always that counts, have this. Yeah. You know, yep, that, that counts. Yeah, that yeah, counts. Yeah. <laughs> I always have this in the back of my mind, like I need to do stuff that is also helpful for someone else. Mm -hmm. That it just doesn't. It's not just you know good for me, and I love but to do this. That's so. what I've always said. Like I, I love doing my coming back and doing my masters, but for me, it's very much it has made me realize I don't think I am geared to a pure research mm -hmm. area of psychology and neuroscience, wherever I end up, I would have to do hands-on at least 50%, like I'd have to have contact time with the, be they patients, be they, you know, people within the industry, yeah. like for me, I love to learn, but locking myself away in a room and just research, 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 I'm going to write a paper, read it, mm -hmm. I would be climbing the walls in weeks, like, I need that contact time, I need to see the practicality of Okay, I've learned all about this thing. Now let me go see this in practice, yeah, essentially. Absolutely, yeah. With your mom being a medical doctor, did you think that kind of drove you to do something clinician-wise? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Why, why choose psychology if your mom was a medical doctor? Because I always hated medicine itself, so <laughs> nice. I've always been asked the question, are you going to be a doctor when you grow up? And I was like, no. Nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then obviously I ended up in clinical neuroscience. Because that's how it goes, Whoops. you know? It's sort of like the closest thing you could do without it being I mean, medicine. You kind of, if you think about it, are going to end up as a doctor? It's just not an yeah, MD. Let's say, you know, we you know we are in the same rooms. I talk to doctors, <laughs> yeah. I talk to neurologists, but no, it's, it's completely different yeah. approaches to, to research as well, I would say, or, or to patients. It's, yeah, that's different words. Still respectable. And mm. like you mentioned that you were going to do something develop an intervention you said in particular have you thought about what intervention you're going to do not yet and I think this will especially it, it will depend on the results of my next project so okay. will we will we be intervening on patients or caregivers mm, oh, nice. that makes a big difference yeah, yeah. right and if it's patients you can have certain types of approaches you can maybe look into literature about what has been done in other you know cognitive disorders and what could I sort of move and translate into apathy. If it's for caregivers, it might be a bit harder because it's, as you, as you were saying, it's sometimes it's not as easy to, to you know, run research, research with uh, caregivers. So there might be a bit less in terms of literature. It's possible. I know there's a lot in my field. I do music as medicine and for stroke rehabilitation, oh, yes. that's so many papers. Oh, yes. Yeah, Sarkilmo in uh, Finland is a great example. And stress in particular, with music as medicine, has just popped off yeah. like recently. But for stroke rehabilitation, I'm noticing a lot of neurocognition and a lot of neuromodulation studies as well.
particular with um, beat entrainment and just tapping fingers if you have loss of stroke and depending on where the stroke is too. Are you local to a specific area or are you global? Global. Global? Fair yeah. enough, yeah. For caregivers, what in particular are you thinking about intervening with? I guess that will be more a sort of behavior intervention on how to support your, your how to support a patient or you know, your family member and it will be an educational inter intervention mm -hmm. as well because you need to know what apathy is, what sort of changes you might you might see in your in your spouse, um, and how can you best react or be ready to, to yeah to see this. That's a, that's a really interesting mm -hmm. like approach because you don't really think about like I say again like you don't really think about the caregiver side of it but what they go through and everything and I imagine the reactions semi universal like you know if if there's an improvement it's Oh gosh, it's happened again. My brain's gone. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, if it get worse, then yeah, regression. There you go. Regression, yeah, if there's yeah. a regression, like trying not to be too disheartened by mm -hmm. it because it's just like that sometimes this sort of thing happens, but it can yeah. be an improvement still. We can get things out of the way. So, yeah, that's, that's a really interesting approach to it. And also, rehabilitation is, rehabilitation is so different and varies from patient to patient. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's hard to predict how it's going to go with that specific patient. So. Can be even harder when you have to say yeah. caregiver, you know, I don't know how this is gonna go. Yeah, like, how do you, you have to try it? Yeah. See how how do you account for that on a research basis? Mm -hmm. Like, if it's well, you, you can't just remove it from the study, can you? Well, that's the point of the, of the study itself, right? So you're looking at the effect of that specific intervention, yeah. and then you might be able to say, oh, maybe that you know, it's the intervention that didn't work out. Something has to has to be arranged, or maybe it's just you know, apathy cannot be. Rehabilitated in a way, or cannot be, you don't have fair enough. That'd be a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. 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 So, coming twenty twenty, so you must be what, completing one, one and a half, one and a half years. Yes, yeah, so yeah. so you're coming up to the end of the second year. Yeah. yeah. So if we say go Let's say I'm half second year. <laughs> yeah, so we're going from October. Yeah, it must be coming up to. Yeah. How are you? Like, how many more years do you like? Do you have in the in the projects? Do you? Is it going to be like one more year, or are you going to be a little bit longer on it? Mm -hmm. Do you know, or is that just? So my program is going to be another year and a half, mm -hmm. um, because we're a group patients and setting up studies. And you guys will know this for sure. Setting up studies with all that is ethical uh, approval and stuff takes a lot of time. Uh, <laughs> it's worse than art. Worse than yeah. working with art. Um, I might take a bit longer than this one and a, uh, one and a half years. Um, We'll see, you know, it all depends on how easy recruiting is. Yeah, I was going to say recruitment is, is definitely the big one. Like, you and me both know about that. Yeah. Um, like, half the year to collect 157 participants for, like, 60 minutes of their time. Yeah. 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 That's considering that you, you said 200 is what your target was. And just that's 160 is so amazing. amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's and you got that in a year? No, 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 no. Keep in mind, this project started in back in 2017. Holy shit. And then then obviously, like, it got delayed with COVID and stuff, yeah. and then you had to follow up all these participants, so it takes a lot of, you know, yeah. human force to... Oh, so you kept 160 this. participants <laughs> over nearly four years. Yeah. Holy hell. In the span of one year, so... Oh, that's right. I mean, after still, the one year, they're, yeah. they're free to go. <laughs> so collected them. Yeah. It, it's good. It's, it's a good result, to be honest. Really yeah. Good. Yeah. People before me were very mm. hands-on, so... That's incredible. Mm. It must be the contact thing. Cause I, I did a I tried to do a um, an online study through COVID, mm -hmm. and it went failed miserably. 
but uh, I got 132 like to sign up. I kept 47. I guess we were all burdened, like bombarded with online stuff. I think that's so what it was. Yeah, but I could have done it better. That that's incredible. That especially with stroke rehabilitation mm -hmm. is I would have figured there'd be a larger attrition rate just from what I've seen. Sarkilman was a good example. He he'll have 60% oftentimes, mm -hmm. maybe. And you kept the math in my head. Yeah, nearly 82%. Let's yeah. say it's about 80%. Yeah, 82%. Yeah. So this was just for sort of cognitive and, and neuropsychological assessments in a way. So I guess that this rate changes a lot depending on what, uh, you know, rehabilitation or what assessment you're going to do. Mm -hmm. So probably if it requires a lot of time or a lot of, yeah, time, time is participants will just say, no, sorry, I moved country <laughs> and I'm not there yeah, anymore. Time, so. time is biggest one and that's almost always the risk of a longitudinal study as well yes. it's like especially something you have to consider with doing a longitudinal study something like a stroke is like you may lose patients to natural causes it's like how did you how do you like plan for that if you're allowed to talk about that yeah is. but yeah, well, obviously, yeah i guess this is all part of, of research planning right so you account for a certain sample size mm -hmm. keeping in mind that some participants may not get to the end of the study um, and then you just sort of keep account on, on how recruitment and how assessments go so um, now I know you know how many participants were lost for, for natural causes how many just dropped out and for no explanations or other just withdrew from the study it's all part of, of, of the study itself right and yeah. this will inform hopefully future studies about how to do a longitudinal study yeah. on outcomes yeah, yeah. and what to take into account so I guess it's all part of the process, it's all about informing future studies as well. So, even if you lose a lot of participants, it's still... Well, even if you lose participants, it, it adds knowledge to the research, which is the goal of the PhD. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, that's, that's the goal, of, in my opinion, that's the goal of research in, in general, that it's yeah. always to build on the, on the existing research, or even just find something like, hey, uh, so I searched for this, didn't exist. Yeah. But here's the piece of research that shows it doesn't exist. Maybe someone else could find something mm -hmm. off of this, and you know we should all be bouncing off each other. Yeah, philosophy of research is exactly that. Uh, since we test no hypotheses. Yeah. Yeah. So outside of the research, you're also kind of involved in other areas of neuroscience because we actually met at the BBMS festival, yes. which is the breaking boundaries of medical science. Yes. How did you get involved in that? So first of all, that's not necessarily uh, neuroscience yep, related, medical science. but it's more yeah medical sciences and neuroscience obviously. Yep. Um, so I attended this conference last year. So until last year, BBMS was just uh, an annual conference, and I was very very much interested by the themes they touched and and how it was organized. I thought it was a great effort and all done by students. So I applied and we formed a new committee and then we decided to set up the site as well. Um, advised by our patron, obviously. So we set up the society, we started in with four committee members and then we grew up, now we're 12, 13. And then uh, we managed to you know, organize sort of seminars throughout the years, um, networking events, and now this, this conference in, in March. So it's very nice work, it's a very nice job to have your PhD and then you finish that and you can focus on building something with your own hands. Yeah. Putting together events. It must be really satisfying to see how well the event ran and how like how successful it was and the, the feedback you got from it must have been really positive. 
thank you for that in the first place. I hope you enjoyed it. It was, because it was a really good conference. Yeah. Smoothly run compared to the other ones I've been to. Like, no hiccups. Maybe that one, like, in the, the second presentation when mm -hmm. the button stopped working. But other than that, that's that was, technology. That was technology. You that account count. There, wasn't, there wasn't a fight between researchers. <laughs> there was food. Everyone was chatting. It was great. Like, that. that's what you want a conference to be. And it was for, a great event. For something that was so local as well. Local. There was someone from Chicago at the conference. But uh, local as well, meaning um, within the heart of Cambridge. Mm -hmm. and it was easy to get to. Yeah. It was easy to find. Uh, I was glad that we were invited to do a stand there and do yeah. a small little presentation because I think we got a lot of people from that actually. Uh, yeah, we had very good feedback from that. Yeah, it was I saw so many people joining you at your stand during lunch lunch break. Yeah, a lot of us. That so was proud of I, you guys. I was I thought that was fantastic. It was really happy. The the way that was planned I thought was so 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 good and I think we might steal that idea in the future. <laughs> but having that interactive. Yeah, having an interactive table where people can come down, sit, and have a conversation <laughs> like this, I think is a brilliant way just to get people aware of the topic. And I, I think we all missed it after after the pandemic. We were I was definitely looking forward to having you know tables to sit down, actually see people in the face, mm. and not being in a breakout room and be able to discuss whatever from neuroscience oh to medicine in space. Yeah, I know. Sorry, like I yeah, know. I think I just got flashbacks just then. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I'm glad you enjoyed it, and uh, we also thought it was pretty successful because it also allowed people to go around, discuss ideas, um, and any sort of, of topics and ideas. And I think that's the beauty of your company as well. Sorry, you guys, I don't want to praise you so oh, publicly, no, but... No, please do. do take the, <laughs> yes. the whole point of this podcast is to say how good our company is. <laughs> you're my guest here, I see you now. Yeah. Uh, no, but it's, it's great. I think it's uh, your effort is amazing in bringing people together because that's what we lack. That's what we were mm. missing out on a bit. Uh, that's, that's, that's really yeah. just been like mm -hmm. the core ethos is like bringing everyone together and yeah. like being able to discuss research. And it was, it's kind of built off the back of the conferences like you ran. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, great. I can go to this conference and I can talk to these people. But I, like you said, I've learned someone from Chicago. It's yeah. usually just like my local yeah. area and it becomes kind of insular. Yeah. But also clicky. Oh, yeah. yeah, and that, that's the thing that we were trying to dismantle as well, because as science becomes more open, it's going to become more borderless. Mm -hmm. And I, I've seen multiple, uh, my, my most recent meta-analysis did demonstrate that there are particular areas of the world where music works better, just as a medicine, mainly Eastern, hmm. Eastern countries, say, yeah. Yeah, China, been, yeah. Thailand, some, for some reason, play, Australia. There's a big role in there. A huge. Yeah. Medi music yeah. therapy is massive in those areas, right? What are they doing there that we're not doing in Western places, the big one? And they don't share that information all too often. It's very clicky. It's very much, yeah. I don't get in contact with them. I have to go to them directly instead of just accidentally bumping into them at a conference. And then when COVID happened, yeah, yeah gone. And that's why we, uh, one of the kind of reasons why we made this company was because we noticed that we're not going to be able to go to conferences if this lasts more than three years. And we decided to make it out of, well, so we could, go to conferences, we organize it ourselves and see people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and then COVID. It's definitely that side of it. It's like, I love talking to people, I love the interactions, I love doing this sort of thing, like having a conversation with someone about new ideas, new topics. So being able to spread that across the world, and let's be honest, we are all on our phones a lot, and we always use apps mm. a lot. So having the ease of access just to be able to like collaborate with someone and in a professional sense, how would you always get a hold of someone? It's email. 
yes, I can call, but there's no guarantee they're going to be near their phone, so an email. But then you can be waiting and waiting and wait. And if you're collaborating on a project and say that you're in one country yeah. and they're in one country, just you could be sort of sitting there for like three, four hours just yeah. waiting for a, okay, pull out your phone on the app. Can I do this? Like, do you know what I mean? It's like that. It's Email's that. too formal. Like, I think that I liked talking neuroscience in my day-to-day conversations. Mm-hmm. Socially, social-wise, don't make make your job part of society. Do what you love. You never work a day in your life kind of thing. Yeah. And if, uh, if I enjoy my neuroscience and I enjoy talking to people about it and get paid for it, hey, power to me. I think that's so beautiful, that, or at least that's what I appreciate very much about the UK. So you can just go to a pub at 5 p.m. and yeah. enjoy that pint and discuss neuroscience. And, and I don't think that's... We do that fairly often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do that 12 And it works. <laughs> yes, it works. In fact, that is how neurogamers started. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but it, and again, it works both for informal and formal. Definitely, like, Career-related yeah. stuff, and it works. So works what's well. the... Um, sorry, we... Oh, what's the next uh, goals for being Do you have any, like... Other goals in like the next in the next six months? Do you have anything you're planning and building work towards? So hopefully we're going to have some events in uh, next year, next year term, mm-hmm. um, and we're working towards building the next next year committee. Obviously, so we'll try to keep up this yearly event as well as the, the annual conference, which, as you can imagine, takes up a lot of yeah. time, like months of, of planning and contacting speakers and and whatnot. Yeah. So I enjoyed this year very much, and hopefully I will be able to. Be involved again. Be keep involved with the with the site because it's just it's amazing to be to be able to as you were saying to be in touch with people who you were usually don't talk to because yeah. people from genetics, biology, bioinformatics, all sort of people I would never meet in my lab mm-hmm. or not not so easily. Um, and that's why what I appreciate very much of this society. I think what I really liked as well about that uh, about the event was that it wasn't niche to. I know the whole point of it is breaking boundaries for medical science is about sharing ideas and talking across mm-hmm. a range, a whole range of different areas. But I really liked that because, yeah, okay, we can go to a neuroscience conference, but it's typically similar sort of areas. There might be an overlap here and an overlap there, and the, and the keynote speaker might be someone completely different. Yeah. But there, it was like everyone had their own area. But so I got to learn about something new in every single talk. Yeah, we had AI, we had cancer. Like I didn't know. I was it. genealogy that we're talking about um, I think it's a bee endorphin that's not right uh, it was a cancer researcher from Chicago actually was the one that we were talking about. I forget what name is unfortunate but the I think it was that I think that was it yeah she was talking about cancer in particular uh, and yeah it was lymphoma uh, that conversation was so interesting along with the I really like the AI guy <laughs> Yeah, I uh, as soon as I heard that and what he was doing, I was like, oh, I want to get in on that a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that one flew by me, but it was fascinating. But yeah, it's and pretty, there you go, like different topics for for different interests for you guys, yeah. and hopefully for everyone who attended. So I think so. Most of the people that I talked to, especially the the group that was at our table, they were grateful that this existed okay. because they, uh, one of them in particular, studied in America, all independent learning. Like, don't talk to many people about it. You just go to a library, hammer the books really hard, then go take a test, and all of a sudden you're a neuroscientist. Uh, in Europe, it's more inclusive, more partner-based, and I think that it's probably part of the American cultural aspect of learning that I was talking about earlier. It's very independent. Mm-hmm. You don't get to go be a part of a team, which is definitely what neuroscience is oh, yeah. working towards now. 
I'm seeing papers with like 30 authors sometimes. Yeah. And it's because the big things take a lot of minds. Yeah. That is crazy that you were able to go from all these different countries as well. And I, you notice the differences as well. It takes a lot of philosophical knowledge that you have to notice the independence between the two. Yeah. I mean, I guess that sort, sort of builds you up again because mm-hmm. um, again you're in touch with people coming from all over the world with different experiences different age ranges as well and then you learn how to socially behave in an international context mm-hmm. and um, you have to be able to professionally talk to people from different countries because that's a big thing as well right yeah that's true and to start from emails to the way you you present yourself to the way you talk to your supervisor so again it's it's a big school of learning it's a big school mm-hmm. so I every time someone asks me um, what would you recommend you know I'm studying psychology especially I'm, I'm studying psychology I don't know what I want to do and my first advice is always try and go abroad at least once you know pick the place you want to mm-hmm. pick the topic you want uh, but just try because that will open your mind that will make you discover new things you're interested in and that will definitely get your next step yeah that was actually going to be my, my next question to you is like anyone looking at moving into psych- like starting psychology at university or neuroscience or neuroscience mm-hmm. specifically what would you recommend like as a first step or even like your second step but you know what would you consider would be beneficial to someone's growth in the field and saying traveling abroad yeah that's really interesting but like traveling for work no, traveling for study as opposed to hey go travel and find yeah, yourself well, like it's, it's not the weekend trip yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i would i would definitely start with um this has been said so many times before but definitely finding out what you're passionate about right mm. so what are you interested in and then look for labs or cities that are super strong on that mm-hmm. particular topic look for the labs look for the people and then somehow try and get in touch try and get an experience there. Maybe you find out that's your, you know, that's your lab goal. Maybe you find out, no, I hate <laughs> stroke. I don't know, I want to do something completely different. So if you don't try, and if you don't know what you're interested in, then yeah. you will never be able to progress. I, I think that's, that, that's a really good point. Try some, like try mm-hmm. if you think you might be interested and in give it a go. It could be the start of a new, new career for you. It could be like, eh, not quite for me. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. But you're not going to know unless you try. Yeah. I think the worst thing you can do is sit there and go, well, what if I'd done that like five years ago? Nah, I don't want to have that hanging on you. <laughs> do you apply your neuroscience knowledge to your daily life, you think? I think I apply my psychology knowledge to daily ah, life. Yes, psychology. Don't get me wrong. People, and I, I guess you know as well, always ask you, can you read my mind? When oh, you say all the time. time. Yeah. All the time. It's getting better now, but there are still people who do that. Yeah. Um, so apart from that, no, we don't read minds. Um, but I like to think. What I'm gonna do next? Yeah. Dude, you're gonna annoy the hell out of me. So. <laughs> <laughs> next. <laughs> no, I think the biggest lesson that I get, I try to use in everyday life is definitely there is no normality. There is no normal thing. There is always a range, a range of everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever context you're in, whatever environment, there's never going to be the normal thing and something that is wrong. Mm-hmm. But you have to be again open-minded and see. Where could this thing go? Or, you know. It's very inclusive. Yes. Being inclusive. I think being aware, yes. like we mentioned before, being aware of the uh, external factors as well is very important. Something that I definitely bring into my daily life. Does that mean that you, uh, well, does it mean, do you 
this is what I'm looking for. Do you attempt to include the entire image of one's person when you think of, of when you think of their identity? Almost is that what you're trying? To, that's what I'm trying to say. I guess I try to be mm, understanding okay. of what other people are doing, or you know, especially living abroad. Um, you see this every day. You might see a, a behavior or something. You say, hey, that's that's, that's weird. That's yeah. that's why. And then you you stop for a minute and say, oh, you know, we have different cultures, we come from different yeah. experiences. Um, maybe for me it's wrong for, or, or weird and for that person it's just everyday life. And then, you know, it takes it takes that one second to just stop and say, that's not wrong, it's just me with my preconceptions and, and bias. Mm -hmm. and yeah. yeah, very biased. I think we're coming to the time, uh, I noticed that it's 6.30 for you, so you do have to get going, so we'll pop her off right there. But it was great to have you, Claudia. I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, me too. Yeah, last few minutes, last few seconds. If you want to uh, say one thing to the camera, tell us about anything that you want to do or anything that you are doing in the future, let us know. Go ahead. Uh, well, thanks. Well, thank you guys for having me here. And definitely looking forward to next steps in clinical neurosciences and how this can be applied. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent very much, guys. All right, have a good one.